Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. All right, here we go. What you think about Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I am thrilled you can join us today. We are going to be talking about Lewy body dementia, and I can't tell you how many people approach me through speaking engagement support groups and just online communications about this disease and having trouble getting uh a diagnosis with it, having trouble understanding what resources are there. So today we are hoping that we will be able to answer a lot of those questions. But before I introduce you to our guest, um, I want to welcome those of you that are new to our show. We are always getting new people around the world listening. And Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Everyone is welcome anywhere in the world, um, at any level or position, those that are diagnosed, those that are caring for them, both family and professionals, people that have resources that can help both the person living with a form of dementia as well as their care partners and professionals. Uh, You know, we just don't think that we can have a broad enough net to really be able to scoop up all the wonderful insights that are out there. I also want to point you to alzheimerspeaks.com. That's kind of our mothership here on the radio show. Um, There we actually have one whole section for free educational resources. So not only can you access all of our radio shows, but dementia chats, which you might find really interesting, where I facilitate a conversation with a panel of people living with a wide variety of dementias, many of them Lewy body, and they talk about what it's like. We've got um, scads of different topics that they pick, um, as well as forming dementia-friendly communities or starting a memory cafe, um, getting involved with our Dementia in the Arts program, and uh, of course, if you're looking for speaking or training or marketing opportunities, you can find that. You can also click on our book tab and learn about Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care, which is a children's book. I'm really excited. Uh, We'll be launching soon. We're actually doing pre-sales on that. And um, it's a children's book that I think uh, will teach us as adults to look at things differently through our children's eyes. Uh, they, They are full of insights, and we can also help them kind of troubleshoot their way through life. And it's not a dementia-specific book. It works for bullying or somebody going through divorce or if there's a a death or another type of illness, Um, just anything when you don't feel like things are falling into place and you're not comfortable. 
um, in life, sometimes feeling a little outcasted. So let's go ahead and introduce you to our guest today. Norma Loeb is the founder and executive director of the Louis Body Dementia Resource Center out in New York. And what's really unique about the organization is the founder and the leaders are all former care partners themselves. And to me, that makes such a big difference when people have really lived alongside this disease. Their their experience alone says so much in terms of their ability to uh, be compassionate and and give you support services that are really, really going to matter there. Um, they realize that although, you know, a cure would be wonderful, their vision truly is to foster early diagnosis and enhance the quality of life of people living with Lewy body dementia, along with their care partners. So they've got a real inclusive website. They have a call center and they have devoted to care. And of course, they advocate for increased funding for uh, research for Lewy body dementia. Norma, are you there? Yes, I'm glad so, for whatever reason, we are here now. That's right. And you know what? Dementia, you got to be fluid and you got to be flexible no matter what you have and not let the little stuff get you down. So um, thank Absolutely. you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I want to start out by asking you, like I ask all my guests, you know, how you have been touched by dementia on a personal level in your own family or circle of friends, if you don't mind sharing. No, of course not, Lori, and thank you for having me on here. I, I so appreciate it and all the work that you do to help bring attention to all for all caregivers, for all dementias, and now particularly for Lewy body. So I got involved with this work, and now it's become my life's work because my mom had Lewy body, and she had it for many, many years, and I was with her when she first had problems doing her checkbook, which was many years ago um, until the very end when she lived with me for the last seven years of her life, she was bedridden. So she had this disease for 18 long years, which is not the norm for this disease. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that that is um, a long time. Though I know Norms McNamara over in the UK has been living with uh, Louis Body for many, many years. And um, I, again, so many people, sometimes when you um, have a long life with a form of dementia, some people um, throw out accusations of you're faking it or, you know, you really can't have it because my loved one isn't, isn't, uh, hasn't lived that long or doesn't act like you do. Have you, have you seen that or heard that? Um, <laughs> Yes, Laurie. And um, Norm happens Norm McNamara happens to be on my board. He's one of two people who have Lewy body who are on my board. And um, I value all of his input because he's living this every day. And I lead a support group nationally for people who have Lewy body. And, in mm -hmm. fact, I had one this morning. And I can tell you that what you just said is very common that because Louis body is different, and we can talk about that in a few minutes, is fluctuations are a very large part of the symptoms. And I think it's one of the most distinguishing symptoms to know whether someone has Louis body because they can be have a normal conversation with you, a long conversation with you, 
and then an hour later or possibly two days later not be able to do so. And so it really varies. And depending on the people that they may be seeing on a certain day, they may come across as having no issue. But those same people are not seeing them that evening when they wake up the next morning when they're really not functioning well at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I have heard that too. Well, you know, another problem that I that I have heard people say all the time is, why is this so hard to diagnose? You know, I go to the doctor, I tell them my symptoms. Um, some people say they don't feel like they're believed or they can't get a referral to a specialist. Um, what are your thoughts behind why it's difficult to to diagnose? I'd be happy to tell you that. I, I think it's important, Lori, if it's okay with you, that I talk about some of the symptoms and then you'll be able to see why they're hard to diagnose. So the, the main symptoms, and there are many, many symptoms with the Lee body. There are, you know, some people say there are 40. I mm-hmm. certainly could name you know, 15 off the top of my head. I'm, I'm going to talk about the main ones, which are problems with cognition is one of the main core features, meaning not necessarily memory loss at the beginning, like with Alzheimer's, that comes later, but it's problems with executive function, meaning problem solving and multitasking. That's the main symptom, the cognition issues. And then there are Parkinsonian symptoms. So People, and it's not necessarily, when I say Parkinson's, it doesn't necessarily mean a tremor in the hand, but there's slowness of movement or stiffness in the arms and the legs and a blank stare. So there's Parkinson's symptoms with the cognition issues. The fluctuations that I'm talking about are key to distinguishing it. And most people have hallucinations or delusions. And that can be really difficult all around. In addition to those, there's a visual spatial component where it's, it's people have problems with depth perception. And then there are many other symptoms. So, and the large one that's an early sign is a REM sleep disorder. And what that means is that people are thrashing in their sleep. So they're living out their dreams. So just if, if you're running in your dream, you're not moving your legs if you don't have the REM sleep disorder. But when you do, your body is moving and you can be hitting the person next to you in the bed. So when you ask about why is it hard to diagnose, a doctor, unless you come in with a whole list of all these symptoms, which I encourage people to do, and I I always wish that an excellent doctor will ask these questions, you are not going to see the REM sleep disorder in an office visit. You're not going to see the fluctuations because you may be acting just one way at that moment. And even the cognition could be clear that day. So it's really hard unless you come in with a list and really mention everything that's going on. You know, I'm glad you mentioned writing a list down. So many people don't do that, and it is so critical, I think, for getting any diagnosis, you know, of dementia. And there's there's many different types, but... Um, you know, one of the biggest complaints out there from people is, you know, why can't I get a diagnosis? I, I want to know what is wrong. And we've got to document this this stuff. And even when does it happen um, can be really helpful for the doctors as well. And 
it's easy for us, I think, as care partners to kind of blow off. Well, you know, yeah, they they you know they were having trouble with this, but but now they seem okay, and we grab onto that. Now they seem okay really hard, which is you know part of yes. our denial um, in the process of all of this. So you know, I think we have to take some responsibility too because it's uh, you know uh, we've been. Uh, I mean, it's been marketed, dementia has been marketed by fear for so long. It's hard not to go there. And so when you're given some hope that, no, they, they can do it today. So everything everything is okay. We're back on track again. Um, you know, we go there. But we really can't forget about those moments. We still, and again, if you write them down, I think that really helps you realize how often things are actually happening. Because our own minds can play tricks on us too when we're in that denial mode don't you think and it, yeah, Lori I want to say that the people who have Lewy body feel mm-hmm. that same way individually as well that when they're having good moments they say I think I wasn't diagnosed correctly because I feel fine and then they realize mm-hmm. later in the day or another day that they can't do the things that they were able to do on that other day and realize I really do have this disease Yep. Well, and I've heard a lot of people complain about um, fluctuation in body temperature and and things that you normally wouldn't think are dementia-related. Have you heard that as well? Absolutely. So one of the other symptoms, which I didn't mention along with a bunch of others, is problems with the autonomic system. And that means um, that it's affecting everything that happens generally automatically in your body. But when you have Lewy body, the autonomic system is affected. So this problems, I'll just say, for instance, um, with constipation, with, with urination, and particularly with blood pressure. So when you're saying autonomic mm-hmm. system, some, there are some people whose blood pressure will drop. Mm-hmm. And they may even collapse, and um, they may collapse be- because of that, because the blood pressure drops. But it also, they can be very cold or very hot because of how it's affecting the system. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought up the blood pressure thing, because everybody goes right to a blood pressure pill. Um, that that's the, <clears throat> that's the main cause of it, and it gets, you know, it gets ticked up as that instead of maybe something of a of a bigger a bigger problem um within the body yeah. and and uh, or or people just being told to look for other things because a lot of times we don't you know we're not really paying attention if someone is constipated or not you know especially earlier on um it's just not a question that a lot of times we're we're asking people but if we know to track that that can make a big difference in terms of giving giving the, yourself and doctors clues of of what might be going on with that um the other thing is yeah. is that i have heard over and over from people that most of the doctors you know the general um gps out there aren't really familiar with dementia as a whole you know they kind of look more at the memory loss portion uh, that's been pushed out so much because of, of Alzheimer's disease, you know, and originally everything was kind of categorized as Alzheimer's um, to the public. I mean, that was their perception of it. 
but I think a lot of the doctors don't even know some of the other symptoms of the other variables that are out there as well. And when you can't get a referral, that makes it really difficult um, to get a diagnosis. Oh, Lori, I totally, yes, I absolutely agree. And I, I was just going to mention the doctors that generally diagnose this disease are neurologists. So mm-hmm. in uh, a GP won't know of this disease. They'll have heard of it. Um, I, most people who are physicians in all different realms have heard of the disease, but they don't know anything about it, and they may think it's rare. And mm-hmm. even neurologists, I have to say, uh, movement disorder neurologists tend to understand the disease better. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's misdiagnosed. So often, not just because an office visits, but because it's either thought of as rare or um, there, are, there are many nurses who never heard of it. There are social workers who haven't heard of it. That's one of the reasons that, to me, it's so important to bring awareness because it is not rare. The same way that you were just saying, um, it's still, unfortunately, viewed as Alzheimer's is, you know, is the dementia, when actually, Lori, it's been coming out more and more, particularly in the last year or two, that many people, when they do autopsies, they find that some people didn't have Alzheimer's at all, but mm-hmm. they had another dementia, and it was probably Lewy body dementia. Or, on the other hand, many people have Alzheimer's and Lewy body dementia, and it's as high as they say 40% of people. So yeah. I think Lewy body dementia has been so misunderstood and not talked about, but you're going to be hearing more and more about it. And I thank you for doing this because it's one way of getting the word out there. Well, you know, my mom lived with uh, Alzheimer's disease for 30 years. That's what we were told. Um, And actually the first 10, she was misdiagnosed. Her doctor of 40 years kept telling her it was her hormones. And she kept saying, this ain't my girlfriend's hormones. I, I I know it's something else. But, you know, that was a long time ago. Um, she's been gone since 2014, and she lived with dementia for 30 years. So, um, you know, it, it's been a, you know, almost almost 40 years ago uh, that that happened. But upon um, her autopsy, you know, her brain came back so atrophied, so shrunk. And when I talked with the neurologist who I've known forever and, and is renowned around the country. Um, he just said, oh, my gosh, I've never seen a brain this atrophied. And I asked him kind of to walk me through the the medical mumbo jumbo, you know, in the autopsy report um, to make sure that I had a good understanding. And it showed that my mom had some Parkinson's and Lewy body. And, you know, he asked, "Did, did we see that? And I said, well, there came a point where she really wasn't able to walk, but she wasn't diagnosed. With that, she had a little bit of tremoring, but not a lot, you know. And um, and as far as the Louis body, I said she would talk to other people, you know, and kind of be looking up in the air. I said, but it wasn't it wasn't the the horrible nightmares and things that we hear so often that people with Louis body experience. And I said, so there were there were some things, you know, the the body temperature and um, different variables, I think, came into play, but they really weren't looked at seriously. And um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that he said 
was, you know, it's rare for someone to live as long as my mom did with this disease. And yet he said, it's evident she did because of the shrinkage of the brain. And, and, and you know, my comment to him was, I think we're going to see a lot more of this as people get diagnosed younger. Um, and more people are stepping up and, and having these autopsies, which is, you know, some people can think it's really gross, but it's, it's very helpful to the scientists to be able to have this information. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said all of that, and I didn't. I didn't realize that your mom's autopsy showed that because it's just it's just really confirming what I said. And I'm glad you just said about the age, Lori, because mm-hmm. they're you know it's generally considered as with Alzheimer's generally in the 70s and higher, or they'll say 60s. But there are people. Um, I never used to get so many people in our support group and on the helpline who are in their 60s versus mm-hmm. 70s or 80s, and now it's it's um, almost the norm. I have someone in this talk group who's 43. That's not the norm, as you know, with even early onset Alzheimer's, but the people do have it. And so she, too, was told it was her hormones or her job, and it's so dismissive, particularly, I have to say, for women. It's just mm-hmm. the way it still is sometimes. So... It, it is really difficult. I, I just wanted to also mention what you said about hallucinations. So though some people have the REM sleep disorder and, and also very difficult hallucinations for certain mm-hmm. people, and I want to mention that if you see one person with Lewy body, you've seen one because everybody progresses differently. So it's mm-hmm. not like which stage is this person in. A lot of people ask that and say, I'm not sure what the stage. I say, don't focus on the stage because everybody moves differently with this and not everybody gets the same symptoms and they get them at different times. But I also wanted to mention about the hallucinations. The people who get hallucinations that are not frightening generally see children or small animals. It's very common for them to see that and they're not frightening to them. They just notice them. They notice um, they'll notice a cat or they'll notice a rabbit that are not there. Mm-hmm. And, um, or, or delusions at the same time, thinking things are happening when they're not. Yep. Yep. The, uh, the bugs on the ceilings or yeah, there can be a lot of different people in the people in the house. Um, and sometimes they're very comfortable with them. And sometimes if they're not, I remember one yeah. person saying uh, her husband used to, there always used to be a group of people in the shower, and she said it never bothered him, <laughs> and so I just kind of let right. it go, um, but other times somebody would show up, and it wouldn't bother him, and, and, you know, of course, she couldn't see them. I always felt like with my mom, she was talking to people in her past, and like I told mm-hmm. the neurologist, I said, you know, Maybe, maybe she's hallucinating or maybe, maybe she's just kind of gone through the veil and is communicating on the other side. And I know some people will think that that's really taboo of me to say, um, but I saw her really feeling so comfortable and content with that. I wasn't going to question was it real or not, because it was to her and it gave her comfort with that. And so Laurie, I, I have to tell you, I... A hundred percent agree with what you just said. Mm-hmm. I don't oh. think 
I don't think it's an odd thing, and I thank you for saying it because I've thought that many times. We don't, yeah. especially especially people who have Lewy body, and I'll, I'll just say this, I don't usually talk about this, but when they, I slept in the same room with my mom for a while, and she, there was a time when she was not speaking as well anymore. It would be hard for her to get out full sentences most of the time. And yet, when she was sleeping, she was laughing and having whole conversations out loud. And just mm-hmm. it it entirely different. And I've heard this from I've heard this from many other people, from other caregivers. But also when she was doing that, I said, Ma and she said, What? And I always have thought of and also heard this from others. It's as if she's not sleeping, she's not awake, they're in a different realm. Mm-hmm. It's a different yep. space. Yeah. So it's yep. um it, it, it's a very, it's a devastating disease because of so many things affecting the body and the mind, and but it's an extremely interesting disease because it's a, a phenomena. Well, and I think you know, for me, I found calmness in believing that she kind of crossed the veil or was in that other realm. I I really learned through her dementia to take pleasure and comfort in her pleasure and comfort. Instead of trying to always mm. analyze everything, it was like, just accept life's okay right now for her. And she's not fearful and she's not upset. And that's a good thing. And I know a lot of people can't let that go. But for me, man, when I was able to let that go, it made my life much more enjoyable, much more peaceful. And I, you know, I wasn't as drained. So I thought I, I think I could give better care because I wasn't I was prioritizing problems differently and issues. Yes. And and I was really focused on kind of that relationship based care where it's about how are they feeling in the moment. And if she you know, if she was safe and happy, then I, that wasn't something I had to worry about. I really needed to learn how to enter into that and and find some peace for myself within this disease and find joy at new levels in new ways. Did you, did you run into that with your mom? Yes. I, I'm really glad about how you said that about feeling, um, about her feeling safe and happy those the safety aspect is hugely important and yes I felt that with my mom I was glad when I moved her into my home and as long as she was comfortable and not you know not everybody and my mom went through so much in in when she was better in those last those many last years other people um you know what, without going too much further about what others experience, I was thankful my mother never had those really frightening hallucinations the way some do, very short-lived. But the mm-hmm. safety and the happiness and um, is so important. And, and again, Lori, it's like what you, it's what you said. If we can be in that moment, to me, what I really try to share in the support groups is we have to be proactive and think about next steps but not to think too far ahead because then we're missing those special moments that they are happy and safe and feel safe at this moment. And to be in that space, noticing the smile, or noticing something, just a couple of words that somebody says 
when if they didn't have dementia, you wouldn't even notice that they were saying it. But now it's mm-hmm. a gift. Yep, yep, exactly. And getting getting that mindset switched is, I, I think, probably one of the most difficult things for for people to to do because, you know, here on earth, we're all about logic. You know, we're all about right or wrong. We're all about judgment. And, you know, with that right or wrong and and dementia really teaches you, you know, to look for different things, to really look for comfort, to, to look for acceptance and to, to not judge um, so much or, or not think that, you know, all the answers. I think that's one of the biggest gifts my mom gave to me was she gave me a whole different perspective to look at the world. And so even though she taught me through dementia, it was something applicable that I could use, you know, throughout my life in terms of reframing things differently and um, looking at that bigger picture there. So thank you. You know, we've talked about some things, but is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of how Lewy body is different from, you know, Alzheimer's disease. One of the things, particularly because you focus so much um, with all that you do for caregivers, is the burden that Lewy Body presents to caregivers because it's affecting the entire body, as I mentioned before. And besides that, a person doesn't know what to expect. So someone has Alzheimer's, we know we all have good and bad days and they're different. When someone has Lewy body, you don't know what to expect from day to day, from minute to minute, because they can be acting one way and then all of a sudden angry the next minute or not able to answer questions. And it's on top of all of that is then they, anyone they speak to has never heard of Lewy body. And it just, the, the burden is that much more because of that. And, and it's, it's just so difficult to deal with this disease on so many levels. Just as someone just had Parkinson's or they just had dementia, there's so many of these that are affecting the autonomic system that there are fluctuations and delusions and somebody could be in a car and they won't come back in and they're not trusting. This, as you know, with all dementias, none of it is easy. Mm-hmm. But it is. It is very different, particularly because people don't understand it. And the one thing I haven't mentioned yet that is hugely important is that the reason to be diagnosed correctly, even though there's no cure for Alzheimer's or Lewy body or Parkinson's, is because people with Lewy body are extremely sensitive to medications. The wrong medications can make them much, much worse. So for instance, someone was agitated and having bad hallucinations, if they go to emergency room, there's an older antipsychotic. And I just want, I I need to mention, I do not have a medical background. So when I'm talking about medications, it's because this is what I've learned from neurologists on my board and geriatricians and also the Mayo Clinic and National Institute of Health will mention this on their website. Older antipsychotics such as Haldol, can make them much worse and can can also be fatal. And that's mm-hmm. why they have to be diagnosed correctly, and that's a, a huge difference with the diseases. Well, and I hear that from families all the time. It's like, why did they do this? And it's like, because symptom-wise, <clears throat> this is what they've always given. 
for it. But, you know, and, and people have said, oh, my gosh, it, it just got so bad. Many of them end up in the emergency room. And, uh, again, sometimes it gets caught and sometimes it doesn't, that this medication is in conflict, you know, with the diagnosis. And if they don't have the diagnosis of Lewy body, a lot of times it's missed. And they'll, and they'll um, I, I've heard families say, well, now they're prescribing even more. You know, they think they need a higher dose, and um, which makes things even worse. So, yeah, it's, I, I always tell families a lot of times to talk with the pharmacist and have them kind of go over all the medications because, you know, they're, um, most pharmacies have, I can't remember what the certification is called, but someone who, who can review them and really knows the ins and outs of, you know, what will conflict with what, and um, and that is so, so very important. I think the other thing that you mentioned, too, was, you know, you were really pointing out the fluctuation. <clears throat> and although other dimensions can fluctuate, um, with Lewy body, I, I think it's sometimes even more difficult to um, to plan. So it could be a vacation, it could be a gathering, and you don't know if all of a sudden they're going to have one of their kind of flatline moments where they're just pretty withdrawn and you know aren't you know aren't being social and don't want to cooperate or you know whatever it might be, or you know they're not sleeping and so then they're sleeping during the day. You don't know when those times are going to hit. And so that can be very difficult. I've I've also heard people with Louis body say, um, let's say they're preparing to um, work at a at a conference, and they come off and, and you know intellectually they're pulling all this stuff together. They're organizing people even to come together. Some of them are kind of leading the pack, like Norms McNamara, and then then they kind of just you know they go down and crash because it takes so much out of their body to pull all of those yes. things together. And and that is something I think more organizations have to take seriously and really support people with dementia. I don't care what type of dementia it is, but but not put so much pressure on them that even though they want to help, we need, you know, as professionals and families to understand that takes a lot out of any of us to do. And when you're battling a disease like this, it really takes a lot out. And so uh, do we want to set them up, you know, for that? Or do we want to pull in support to assist them so that they don't kind of crash and burn for three or five days, whatever it is, till they recuperate again? Uh, I, I see that all the no, time Lori, happening. And one of the things you just also brought up another symptom that is really important to be understood because of what you just said. You don't know how they will be from one day to the next and what that means in addition to the cognitive fluctuations as well as physical fluctuations is apathy is another large symptom that is overlooked. So when someone has experienced apathy, they don't have the interest or the umph in doing what they had planned to do. So in speaking in my group, which we call the LBD crew for people who have Louis body, they will tell you sometimes 
they don't know how they're going to feel the next morning. And even though they may want to, even for instance, see their grandchildren who are coming over, they don't have the energy that day. They can't get up to do what they would want to do with them or that what they were able to do yesterday or the day before. They just cannot muster enough energy or enough interest to do it. And to mm-hmm. others, it may look like they're lazy at times because, oh, you did that yesterday. Why can't you do it today? But they can't. They just really cannot do it. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I can't believe we only have like 17 minutes left here, and I still have um, a few questions I want to make sure we get to. Okay. One is, what are your best suggestions when someone is um, is showing some behavioral issues? And I hate to even use that term, behavior. I, I like to say reactions um, because I really think that they are clues for us to pick up on. And it's not like yes. they're trying to do something. So, but, you know, those unwanted um, situations, do you have some best suggestions on how to deal with that? Yes. And I think that, I think that's a wonderful word, reactions. That's a good one. That's <laughs> a good mm-hmm. one instead of behavioral issues. Yeah. So the same way I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know, um, but some people don't who, who are new to this that when somebody is exhibiting, say, say showing hallucinations or being angry or they're, they're having delusions or seeing things that are not there or believing things that are not there, to please try the best you can to go along with them. Do not say that that's not true. Do not get angry. Do not get frustrated because I can also say that when we are frustrated or angry, they can feel that even more than we do. They almost have a sixth sense of it's the energy that they pick up. And Mm -hmm. very sensitive to energy. So the same way when people speak to people with any type of dementia and they don't understand, their feelings and emotions do not dissipate, even though, as you know, that they can still feel what you're saying even if they can't respond to it with words. And I, I also want to say someone with Louie body, it takes, a, it takes a longer time for retrieval. So sometimes mm-hmm. people need up to 20 seconds to respond to something that you're asking because it, it takes longer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I just got off track what I was saying. Sorry. No, no, um, that's, that's fine. It, it, th- these are all just helpful tips and, you know, there's so many different directions. Oh, I know, I know. It go. was about the behavior, Lori. Sorry. It was about the behavior to say if someone is seeing something that's not there, then you you, you don't want to say it's not there because it becomes frustrating. And, mm-hmm. and you want to confirm because it's their reality of what they're saying. So you want them to feel comfortable. And as long as it's safe for you to say so, if they're seeing some people in the room that are made, someone called the other day and her husband was seeing teenagers in the room. And what mm-hmm. are they doing here? What are they doing here? And so what you would do is saying, I'm asking them to leave. Now they're going home. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. And that's yep. what you do and open the door and go along with that. And because the main thing, as you mentioned before, is for them to feel safe. Yep. Safety 
and, and, and in control at the same time. So because they don't have control of that situation, they need you as the loved one to do that for them, and they don't have to think of the solution, which is too difficult for them. But also mm -hmm. in line sort of with this, when someone, you don't want to tell people to, you have to take a shower at 11 o'clock. Well, they may not want to take a shower at 11, and maybe you don't want to take one either at a certain time. So to give them choices and matters and ask, what time would you like to, should we do this then? So that they have the, self, the sense of control along with the safety. Mm -hmm. Although that's, that's great, great information. Why don't you tell people a little bit about your, your mission, and then we'll kind of wrap up with your best advice to, to caregivers. Sure. Uh, my mission um, is to bring awareness to Louis Body Dementia to as many healthcare professionals and the general public as possible so that people are not misdiagnosed, they're not giving wrong medications, they get earlier diagnosis and can get help. And so at the same time, it's awareness and bringing support to as many people with Lewy body and their caregivers as possible. So our tagline is bringing awareness and supporting with love. And what the main thing for me that was important when I created the organization um, seven years ago after my mom passed was that we have the only life helpline for Louis Body in the country, and we are here for individualized personal conversations because we know what it's like to go through this and others don't, and people feel at home when they finally connect with someone who understands. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is so, I mean, that is so critical. It's um, so important. And, you know, I, I'm I'm just thrilled that you have, you know, your call in line. What is that number? Do you want to share that with people? Of course. Yes. So the, the local line is 516-218-2026. Again, that's 516-218. 2026, and we also have an 800 number, it's really 833. It's 833-LBD-LINE, 833-LBD-LINE. Please know that we are available 365 days a year from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, wonderful. Um, huge help. I Like I said, I have so many people in support groups that – I think we'll we'll love to take advantage of of that, um, as well as your site. What what can people expect to find on your site? Thanks, Lori. So it's and I just want to say for everyone, we are the Louis Body Dementia Resource Center, and it's Resource Center because of all the resources we have. So even though the website is LouisBodyResourceCenter.org, the short version to make it easy is LBD ny.org, lbdny.org. On the website, in addition to finding what Louis body is, the symptoms, the treatment, diagnosis, and all of that, there are many, there's information on doctors in many states and in 15 countries around the world on movement disorders, neurologists, on 
geriatricians. But in addition to that, there's a whole section just on caregiving for anyone who is caregiving for anybody. So for instance, there's information on meal deliveries, on VA, on physical therapists, on occupational therapists, on day programs. Anything that you need information on how to help bathe someone or feed someone is on there. And then there's also information on activities on what works well, uh, whether it be yoga, music therapy, art therapy, and all of that. So there's actually, Lori, hundreds of pages on the site that I intentionally put together. People can go to one place for as much information as possible and also can email me at norma at lbdny.org, norma at lbdny.org, and we can connect you with support groups um, that either that I lead in New York or nationally or throughout the country. Oh, fantastic. And you're you're also part of Dementia Map, which I want to say thank you so much for for joining us there and trying to connect people uh, globally to to resources. It's just so critically important. You also have a Facebook page, which is Louis Body NY, Louis Body NY, but you don't need to be in New York to take advantage of your site, correct? You are correct. We started at the Louis Body Dementia Resource Center of New York. Um, that's our official name, Drops of New York, because we want to help nationally as well as globally. This Louis Body, and that's why we also have the Helpline 365 days, because Louis Body certainly doesn't take a day off, and we want to help as many people as possible whenever we can. And, and Lori, I just want to thank you so much for all you do to get every word out on every topic about dementia and caregiving and all that you do in so many facets. Oh, thank you. And they are also on Instagram, and that is Louis Body NY, and also Twitter. So, you know, they're on all your favorite platforms. And like I said, just a wealth of information. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have other resources um, that you know about regarding Louis Body, uh, please let Norma know and, and let me know, too, for Dementia Map, because we'd like to get as much out there as possible uh, for people as well. So we have uh, just about eight minutes left. What What's your best advice for care partners and also those that are just getting a diagnosis in terms of how to deal with it? My best um, advice on how to deal with it is to please, please, I have to say, please know that we're here because I think being in a support group or speaking on the helpline really helps you to understand specific aspects that you're going through day to day because it will change. Um, and, and to know, again, to try to stay in the moment of today, don't think too far ahead. That just brings on anxiety. Know that this isn't an easy disease. Um, and if you're having suspicion of it, please make an appointment with a movement disorder neurologist if you can. Um, and also, anyone over 75 should really have a geriatrician as their primary. They're the only physicians who have been trained in the elder body for those here. And Yep. Yeah. And, and there's a shortage and, of them as well, just kind of like there's a shortage yeah. of neurologists and, and staff in general. But knowing the terms, you know, to ask for can be really, really helpful or care managers as well. There's 
caregiver coaches out there. There's lots of different types of support groups from meeting in person to, to meeting virtually. And I can say the one thing that I have heard over and over and over again about people dealing with all different types of dementia is the comfort they find in knowing there's other people going through their situation or one that's similar. Because so often we try to explain it to family and friends and they just, they don't get it or they don't see it in the moment. And then they think you're, then they think you're wackadoo and making stuff up. Um, that it really isn't that bad because they're seeing things at a at a real good time for the person diagnosed, and and they just find, like I said, so much comfort and and resolve and hope in talking with others that are really in the trenches with the disease. It's just they just say it's life changing, and it really is kind of their their um, energy boost to get them through until the next, the next meeting or gathering. And in many people like on Facebook group, um, they communicate not just within the group, but they become very good friends and they call each other at all different hours of the day um, because they all understand what is happening and want to be there for one another. And I think so often family and even professionals, I think you're getting better at this, but they don't realize the the importance and the intimacy of the conversations that are being had with with like-minded people, you know, such as people dealing with Lewy body. You know, they're not talking about sports. They're not talking about the weather. They're talking about the meat and potatoes of life and, you know, how do they remain sane? How do they remain supportive? How do they continue to have, you know, um, a loving, caring life. Those are deep conversations. They are very deep conversations. And I think, you know, in closing, because there's so much, you are caring for so many caregivers on your website, on your on your talk show, is reminding caregivers as we all, all caregivers need to be reminded, we have to take care of ourselves. Because if mm-hmm. we don't, we're not good for anyone else. And people give up their lives to care for a loved one. And it's wonderful that you're able to do that. But you have to take care of yourself and make time for yourself. And no matter what it is, you have you just have to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to make that extra time. Take an hour whenever you can and ask for help. It's another thing that none of us do. Because we're very good at feeling guilty if we forget to do one of the 99 things we've done and we forget one other and we feel guilty, but we don't ask for help. And uh, most caregivers are not taking enough time for themselves and it's needed in order to continue with the loving work. I so agree. And when you said, you know, we beat ourselves up for the one thing we didn't do, but we don't give ourselves credit for the 99 things we did do. <laughs> you know, we, where yeah. our inner credit yes, kind of takes true. over. And we really have to kind of put that inner critic in place and go, you know what, I know I missed that, but look at what else I did. And, you know, I'm always going to try to do better, but some days I just can't do it all. And um, getting fueled by taking care of yourself, if that's meeting with friends, if that's reading a book or exercising or, you know, having some downtime or or respite time away, um, you know, what is going to fuel your soul? Because I know for me, and I think a lot of other care partners, we don't even realize how drained we are 
until we're almost in a crisis mode. And many times I think care partners will end up, you know, sick and um, very ill in the hospital. And that's kind of their slap on the face that they haven't been taking care of their own body. And then everyone goes in crisis mode because now what's going to (laughs) happen, you know, um, with this situation, if something happens to the primary, you know, care partner and things. So very, very important. And I think when you care for yourself, and I did not do this well in the beginning at all. Um, I just kind of put put on my cape and I kept doing everything I was doing and I added all these other things on because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And, you know, I had people afterwards tell me I was still selling real estate at the time. And uh, they said, gosh, Lord, you look so different. This was after uh, after I had kind of gone through the journey with my folks. And I said, how? And they said, you have the most beautiful blue eyes. And I said, well, my eyes haven't changed. And they said, they said, oh, yeah, they, they got really dark. And they were almost mm. black. And it was like, wow. And I didn't notice that, but my body was worn down and I had lost my spark and I, you know, I wasn't aware of it. So again, you know, don't, uh, don't do what I did, (laughs) you know, take care of yourself, take care of them, (laughs) try to kick some of that guilt to the curb. You're always probably going to carry some of it with you. Um, And please go to their website, louisbodyresourcecenter.org, or you can get there by going to LBD. NewYork.org as well. Um, follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget about that hotline, which is 833-LBD-LINE, L-I-N-E. And they're open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, Norma, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate all you're doing. Thank you, Lori. I thank you so much for having me on here and for all that you do. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope you like, click, and share this episode. So many people need this information. And many of them in your own circle might be dealing with this that you don't even know. So we're better off oversharing on things like this than than not sharing at all. Until next time, have a blessed week, everyone. Bye now. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.